Fed up being told us there's only British or Irish. Fed up with Union Jacks and tricolours. Fed up listening to the same old shit from the same old talking heads. Well, welcome to the show where Ulster is Ulster. Welcome to the show where we fly the red hand of pride. This is Alternative Ulster. Hello, so welcome to the new podcast coming out. My name's Jamie Mackerel. I'm joined today by Dan McLaughlin. Thanks very much, Dan, for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, mate. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this chat. Good stuff, good stuff. So, um, what the what the show's about, over the last few years, basically since I sort of left journalism, I've continued writing, um, and I've written lots and lots of essays over, of various topics over the years. Um, so Dan's joining me here today. Uh, he's been reading through some of my long wordy writings um, and I'm going to read through some stuff and we're going to have a bit of a chat about it afterwards. So the first essay that I've decided to go with, um, first one that I've chosen, was written back in 2016. It was written not long after I'd moved back to Belfast from Manchester, which, as you'll hear from Dan's accent, he's not from Manchester, but he's a good old northern lad up there. Um, oh, I bet. So yeah. this was written. Oh, 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 it's a great city up that way, and the Northerners. Oh yes, it's, the People's it's, uh, Republic of Manchester. Of oh, I ah, hear fond memories, hundred percent, like. Um, but yeah, so this uh, this essay was written not long after I returned to Belfast. I'd had some reflections on how things were looking, especially in comparison to how things were before I'd left the city. So I'm going to get stuck straight on in. The essay I have titled Belfast in the Klein. Two giants watch over Belfast from the east. Two images of strength and industry in the city. How often do the giants demonstrate their strength? Who knows? Though not as often as they once did. Samson and Goliath are looked upon now with a sense of past glories. Every nation needs a history, a collective narrative to unite its people. Northern Ireland is a young nation. As nations go, it's barely past infancy. It looks unlikely to make it to adulthood. It lies sick and dying, being pumped full of medication to pull it back to life. One such medication is culture. A contrived set of values and heroes to unite this war-torn region. For decades, Belfast was the focal point of the war for Ireland. Since the end of the violence, there has been a cultural void. The next generation, while retaining some cultural heritage, have rejected much of the political history of their recent ancestors, opting for something new. What is new though? Alex Higgins and George Best were both masters of their chosen crafts. Their stories are familiar. Two sporting heroes who went into slow alcoholic demises after they peaked. The Titanic peaked and sank. It's still being talked about now long after it's gone. The two cranes peaked long ago and they're still two of Belfast's heroes. How many remember the cranes being operational? How many saw Best or Higgins at their peaks? These and many other heroes or icons have been incredibly talented individuals but they don't capture the imagination. They are no longer as relevant in the modern world. They have been put there by the would-be creators of Northern Ireland PLC. We know who these would-be creators are. 
They are the political class, the media class, the chattering class. They are sheltered. They are those who have never had a confrontation outside of social media. The type who have enjoyed so much security in their lives that they invented non-problems. They target those who were so disgusted and betrayed by their own cultural heroes during the Troubles that they abandoned their own institutions. This mixture of abandonment and lack of cultural imagination created a void, and this void was filled by external forces. They came in the forms of soulless hipsterdom and a pro-big business approach. These forces intertwined creating a high consumption, low creation environment. Selfies, retweeted news articles and pictures, with, pictures of coffee with a filter slapped on are perhaps the most basic and lazy forms of self-expression. They are signs of a weak and stagnant society. This imposed culture most recently manifest, manifested in a failed political party. The party attempted to create a nation state in the minds of the population. It used the heroes of the recent past and the language and of ideas, uh, the language and ideas of social leftism. Beneath, beneath the surface were the characteristics of any political power structure, backstabbings and power struggles. This political manifestation fell at its first hurdle. It crashed at its first election and disintegrated over the course of the next two years. Its downfall came from a lack of collective mythology and inspiring leaders. Social media has added an interesting dynamic. Everyone now has a voice, diluting the voices of the traditional media sources and those who make regular appearances on them. Those who can get, get on the back of new media sources are destined for success or to at least have their stories in the history books. This is because, because stories provide us with mental nourishment, much in the way food provides us with physical nourishment. Protestants during the Reformation used the dominant media of the day, the printing press to advance their goals. The creators of modern America knew how to use news sheets as an emerging technology. Kennedy jumped on the back of television in 1960 to blow away Nixon. Most recently, Trump has used social media to his advantage. As the old world dies after years of stagnation, he represents a powerful warrior type archetype. He is divisive, he knows his enemies, his supporters love him as a warrior hero and his enemies are terrorized by him as a warrior monster. Whether he be hero or monster is irrelevant because both exist within the warrior. Trump characterizes much of the anti-establishment sentiment that existed throughout the Brexit campaign a campaign that succeeded despite having, having a strong uniting leader. The Remain campaign also lacked a strong leadership. Ireland now sits as one of the key battle zones in global politics, as it always has been, particularly in Ulster. The battle lines are being drawn. It's globalisation versus national pride, central control versus personal authority. Northern Ireland is to leave one global power to join another, that being the European Union for the British Commonwealth. Stormont has been emasculated, like the men of Ulster with their labour pains in the great Ulster cycle of Irish mythology. Unionists are in the pocket of the Brits. Nationalists are riding the wave of pro-EU global liberalism. Who is here for Ulster? Where is our Cú Cullen, hero of the Ulster cycle? 
Where is our hero to fight off the global empires who fight over the land that is our own? No surrender. Really fascinating so, stuff, mate. Really fascinating stuff. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, any thoughts yourself on on the on what was written? Well, here I am, yet another Englishman uh, weighing in on Northern Ireland from across the water. Uh, but um, one of the things that um, bemuses me is that when you arrive at something like Belfast International Airport and you are greeted with a sign, you know, welcome to Belfast, home of the Titanic. Well, it, it fucking sank. But th th this is sort of the, the um, a, a theme that I heard at the start of your essays that um, you seem to, to um, mention Northern Ireland's sunken heroes. Um, why do you think it has the affinity to these sunken heroes, whether it's Titanic or, like you said, George Best and uh, and uh, people like that? Cause these are these are people that were heroes, but also, to an extent, very troubled and failed. Well, so I'll just mention, I know, Dan, that you're an Englishman commenting on the affairs of Northern Ireland here, but you've flown into Ireland to visit family here, so, you know, you do have your own ties, so we'll not hold it too much against you with, with the English accent. <laughs> um, but, yeah, as far as it goes for, like, um, old heroes and things... What I was really getting at in those points were the things that unite a nation have to go back further than the most recent past. So in in that essay, I mentioned that Northern Ireland's a very young nation. This year, it actually celebrates its 100-year anniversary, or its 100th 100, birthday, which, as nations go, is very, very young. Um some of the newer political um, political manifestations in whatever shape or form have used the, the heroes of what would be Northern Ireland in the last 100 years. Okay, Titanic is maybe slightly before that, but not really too far into the distant past. You know, if you look at England, for example, um, I know a lot of people talk about England and how it has like a lack of culture and all this stuff. That's nonsense. You know, you have like the Arthurian legends and stuff, you know, King Arthur and um, you have this, you know, you have like likes the Magna Carta. What was that? 13th century, 12th century? Was uh, that was 1215. 12-15. So, you know, you have you have this real depth uh, in that sort of stuff. As for Northern Ireland, you know, on the nationalist side, you have like, you know, you have quite a lot of, um, you know, like the IRA heroes that you know they would have which is very alienating for people who would be from a protestant background or unionist background whatever you want to say and even then that's still within the last century but if you go back further than that again and i'm not talking about you know king king billy you know 1690 I'm talking about even further before where ulster was well defined within the myths and legends of ireland as a, its own entity with its own heroes, with its own stories, with you know, um, there's this very rich and vast cultural tradition, tradition, and the the stuff from the last century is only really surface level. It doesn't have the depth to really, to evoke the the right emotions to unite people. You know, it's not. It doesn't have the right foundation to create a nation from. 
there's well, there's two, there's two the two points I, I sort of want to ask about. Number one, you know, talk of Northern Ireland itself as as a young na- young nation. Something like the United States is obviously a very young nation, and because they don't have like England's got a lot of medieval history, because they don't mm-hmm. have that, they really fetishize their heroes and they really fetishize the the history. They really cling on to. Um, maybe some problematic things from their history. So how can, first of all, Northern Ireland avoid doing that as this younger country? And also, how do you make these um, these heroes and warriors of the Irish mythology, which are absolutely fascinating, but how do you make that relevant to modern day? Well, there's actually a, a parallel that you can draw between America and Northern Ireland, and I see it quite often. Um and someone who, like, I'm not a Protestant, I'm not, you know, I'm not religious, well, I am religious, but not in, like, a, a Christian way. Um, I don't know, even the call religious isn't really right, but anyway. Um, You're spiritual. So, yeah, let's not get all happy about it, you know what I mean? But I do believe there are, are other things that, that are out there. Um, whenever you look at, so th- this year, Northern Ireland's 100 years old, and... America, there's a, a massive criticism that America as a nation isn't really, shouldn't really exist or, you know, has problems because it was founded um, on slavery, which is true, but it seems that they're, you know, doing, doing what they can to try and get away from that. Um, certainly many, many factions within America are. I think the ones that aren't are definitely within the minority. Um, here in Northern Ireland, there is a, a massive criticism against people who come from a Protestant background, whether you're Protestant or not, the a practicing Protestant or not these days, whether you know if you come from that background, that your you the nation of Northern Ireland was created on the backs of plant the you know the plantation in the sixteen hundreds and stolen land and things like that. So there is that it's a very similar criticism. I don't actually, uh, I don't think it's a constructive criticism because what it does is, is that it says, oh, you as a Protestant or someone who grew up in a Protestant household, you are now guilty for the sins of these English people or, and Scottish people who came over, who you have absolutely nothing to do with. Um, and, you know, now, now you, you guys are the worst in the world. And this is something that... Um, Various political parties, particularly on the nationalist side, have been doing for years now, and it's benefited them very well politically to say, you know, oh, poor us, look at how oppressed we were for so long, when really it's nothing, yes, that did exist for a long time, but it doesn't exist now. And there is a problem now, it is a big problem where people from my sort of background can't feel proud of being from Northern Ireland because. It's not, you know, that you know, it, it was built by planters, basically, people who came from Scotland and England. Let's remember, by the way, that a lot of people who came from Scotland were originally from Ulster, because mm. people from Ulster actually invaded Scotland and took their land, and then those people eventually just came back. Um, so the, there's, it's a very complex history. I, I mean, the, one there's thing no, there's I would no mention one, about that. There's no one that's really truly English, or there's no one that's truly Irish, or no one that's truly Northern Irish. Because if you if you look back far enough, you're gonna find different roots of where your families come from. So it's, oh yeah, it's, there's no point in sort of laying blame 
on you because of a, of a, a past grievance. Because, quite frankly, your family could have been on the side of the world at that point. I completely agree with you, but the reality is, is this is how this is how things play out. And I'll, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll say say a couple of things about what's going on. So Northern Ireland's a hundred years old this year. Um, I, you know, there there are the events. Obviously, you know, at the time we're recording here, we're living through lockdowns and things like that. Um, but the events and things there aren't really any events to mark the hundredth year anniversary of Northern Ireland and. You know, as far as I'm, I'm concerned, that's my country. My country mm. isn't Britain, and my co- country isn't Ireland. I grew up in Northern Ireland. Now, tell me this, right? You go on the, you know, whatever, whatever social media you use, you know, even if it's WhatsApp or whatever, and you go into your keyboard right now, and you go into the flag tab on your keyboard, right? You can get flags for, you can get the Union Jack, you can get the Irish tricolor, you can get the Welsh flag, the English flag, the Scottish flag, the American flag, the European Union flag, every flag in the world. Why can't you get the flag of Northern Ireland? That's because a it's really not good politically, point. It, it's, it's not politically correct to say you're proud of being from Northern Ireland. That's the simple fact of the matter. Now, as I mentioned just there now, I don't consider myself British. And a lot of people from Northern Ireland do consider themselves to be British, and that is very much tied up in that. If I tell I tell people all the time, "Oh, where are you from?" I'm from Ulster. You know, as far as I'm concerned, that's that's where I'm from. But people be because Ulster is a much much, it's a much much older, uh, place than Northern Ireland, but it encompasses most of the geographical area of Northern Ireland. Um, yeah. But you know, if you if I were to say to someone, "Yeah, I'm from Ulster." Generally, people think, oh, you know, that must be some sort of Protestant thing or Orange Order thing or whatever. I have nothing to do with those institutions. For me, the Ulster thing is because it's something that is much deeper. It's very much connected with the land here. Um, and, you know, and again, with the myths and the legends, you know, they talk about Ulster going back 2,000 years. That's how old this, this nation is. It's a good point. By it's a good point yeah, that because but, um, we, we, we've chatted before, haven't we, um, um, through our other works of journalism. And, you, you know, you said one time, well, I always knew, Dan, you, you're always an Ulster man. And I, I told my dad that and there was an intake of breath because, that, <laughs> because I come from a Catholic family. Um, and yeah. the intake of breath, obviously, is because that's quite a politically charged term. But like you said, it's not political for you, it's historical. It completely. And as far as I'm concerned, Ulster is a part of Ireland. Now, if you look, there was a cartographer in the second century AD. Uh, I think he was... Um, yeah, I think he was uh, from Rome or somewhere like that anyway. There's a guy called Patelmi, maybe Greek actually, Greek. And he did a map of the British Isles. And one of the very interesting things on that map is if you look at Ireland, there's more than one capital city mentioned. Right. There's two, possibly three, possibly three, but definitely two. One of them is on the western side of Ireland uh, in a province called Connacht. And the other one is in the northern part in Ulster, at the area which is now known as Armagh, which would have been known as Evan Maca, which throughout history was the capital of Ulster. So it's interesting. 
I mean, this whole thing about Ireland being like a United Nation, like that's that's a load of nonsense. Ireland was united for just over a hundred years and uh, by the British, ironically. That's the longest Ireland's been united for. Apart I, from that, there was maybe the odd few few years here and there when some high king came along and brought together this massive collection of kingdoms into like one nation, but it very quickly fell apart quite often because that's just the Irish way, especially I, I, in Ulster. You know, people here are very independent-minded. I studied medieval history at college, um, and we, you know, a lot of it was the Norman Conquest and Crusades and whatnot. And what a lot of the Norman kings tried to do is when they, they invaded Ireland, in some ways it was quite easy for them because it was fragmented, it was never united. You know, this is sort of uh, 1200s, but also hard to hard yeah. to control once you've got it because it's fragmented. Yeah. That's it, exactly. And the last place actually that the Normans took was Ulster. Um, they did quite well on the eastern side of Ireland, obviously, because they came straight across from England. Mm. But there was a guy called John de Courcy, and he he decided, right, I want a patch of land for myself. And none of the Normans wanted to go near Ulster. You know, the, they sort of saw the people up here as being like barbaric and unruly and all the rest. But John said, no, I'm going to go up there. And he came to he came to Ulster. He fought, he fought a pitched battle, um, close to a place called Down Patrick here, which ironically is where Saint Patrick came to start his whole journey. But that's a whole different story. We'll not get into Saint Patrick today. Um, but he came up in the in the uh, Ulster, fought his battle at Down Patrick, took out the the um, chieftains there and stuff. Um, and then he married into a very powerful political family in Ulster and he crowned himself the Prince of Ulster. But the the Normans were actually very hesitant to move up in, in the Ulster here, you know, just because <laughs> it, it had such a bad reputation for being able to be brought to heel. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. I do remember that. Well, one of, one of the, the, the questions I asked earlier is, you know, this Irish mythology is genuinely fascinating. I really enjoyed the mm -hmm. stories, but how can you translate mythology of Ulster to more modern day things? How how can that be useful when it comes to politics or power or the stories we tell now? How how can we translate it? So the thing about mythology is that it's just like it's just like any story, you know. You could be into Marvel superheroes, you could be into Star Wars, you could be into whatever. It's more about how you relate to those figures from those stories. In the mythologies of Ireland and of Ulster, I find them so relatable because I can go to these places where these events are said to have happened in these stories and in these tales. And there are, there are figures that come from these stories and tales. You know, I mentioned Coo Colin. So the story the story goes is that um, Queen Maeve from Connacht, where we spoke about where that other capital may have been earlier, she rounded up all the, the other provinces of Ireland, uh, brought all the armies together to invade Ulster. And that's something you can see time and time again throughout history. You know, history repeats itself in, in very strange ways every now and then. Um, and because Ulster was independent and stuff and more independent, like you, you've got to also understand, you've got to think back through time in these stories. 
like we live in a, an age where te technological technological advancements are just very i mean you forget just how far we've come you know ulster's naturally bordered by mountains bogland and rivers which is why it became its own province it was very difficult to actually invade into so you know whereas today you can fly a plane in or you can you know take a, a navy uh, you know a fleet of navy boats or um whatever back then you would have had to marshal the army bring the army over bogland bring the army over mountain land through the forests because ireland was very heavily forested back then as well so it's very difficult to actually invade the province of ulster which was one of the reasons why it was so independent in that time um but yeah so when i you know that story for me why it relates so much is that i have an affinity to my home here um and you know i, I don't know i think there's just something in the people here especially from you know the, the background that i grew up where it's like no we're not going to give any ground you know and we'll be pig-headed about it we'll not give any ground we're very stubborn up here it's um, that fr it's that phrase you mentioned um which um you know people have used in different contexts is no surrender no surrender yeah i mean it's people look people think of new, no surrender and you know the likes of the apprentice boys whenever they closed off the the, the uh the gates uh, at the siege of Derry. um you know they think about those sorts of battles and things as far as i'm concerned it's a two thousand year old expression whenever queen Maeve was invading ulster and Ku Colin was forced to p patrol the borders on his own, and he was he wasn't going to give ground. So as far as I'm concerned, it's a two thousand year old expression. Now, just within that, so you know, I I don't think that you know I, I've said it myself, Dan, a few times. We've spoken about this, that I would like to see Ulster as some sort of independent nation. I don't necessarily think you know it's got to be like there's got to be hostility between neighbours in the south or neighbours in Britain. I don't think that at all because Ulster has had a very successful trading relationship with other, other places uh, in the past too. But, you know, I'm very secure in my own uh, cultural identity as being from Ulster and what that means and what it means historically and all the rest of it. So whatever does happen, you know, whether it looks like there's going to be a push for United Ireland as part of the whole Brexit thing and um i i don't see myself as being from the republic of ireland that's a nation that i you know i i if you know it's next door to me i've traveled there i've got friends and stuff from there but i don't see myself as being from that nation so it would be an upheaval from from what i where i'm from but at the same time i'm very comfortable in my own identity as a, as a, someone from ulster that whatever happens i'll you know that'll always be a part of me uh, so you're you're a son of Ulster, but not maybe a member of as you uh, quoted it, Northern Ireland PLC. Who <laughs> are those would be creators of Nor Northern Ireland PLC? I know you mentioned them generally, but name and shame them, maybe. I want to hear specifics. So this is actually something that it's an expression that you you hear bandied about on a lot of the like the, the likes of the talk shows and stuff here. If you if you were to tune in to, like our version of like I don't know who still does the talk shows over in England these days, but you know like, uh, like Graham, on Five Live or whatever. 
Oh, right, yeah, I was going to say Graham Norton and Jonathan Ross, but yeah, no, Five Live, yeah, yeah, I know who I more, know. More of the ones where people ring in and give off about stuff. Um, but you'll hear that expression, you know, Northern Ireland PLC, Northern Ireland's open for business and all this stuff. And that's great, no bother at all. Like, you know, we've got we've had some incredible incredible industries coming here. Um, you know, we had the likes of... You know, uh, HBO came here to film Game of Thrones, which I personally benefited a lot from. Mm. Uh, massive banking institutions have come here. You know, we have Citibank here, who I think it's we're we're one of their big headquarters here. I think they're like in the top four of the biggest banks in the world. Citibank, like they're massive. So there are these you know, pharmaceuticals and stuff, big big pharmaceutical industry and stuff here. So there's a lot that goes on here. Um, what concerns me is that there could be an element to selling out, especially because we are in a you know like a precipice here of a of a new world really, where um, corporations are lo- looking like they're going to take over. You know, it's as simple as that. Like I heard something there recently where like Amazon are looking to set up schools and things and in America and. They're hiring all these employees and stuff like, and you know they're they're almost creating their own private commercial army, so the likes of you know Northern Ireland PLC is like oh yeah we're open for business dead on, but at what cost you know like at what what cost does that happen with um if you sell out to these massive cultural or sorry massive uh, corporate entities without having some sort of cultural um, identity to stay stay a hold of, then some of those things can be forgotten. And just to point out, you know, you've got mentioned earlier the likes of, you know, um, like Disney have bought Star Wars. I'm a big Star Wars fan, by the way, uh, which is why I always mention it. Not a big superhero movie fan, but I know that's some people are into and it's massive these days. And those sorts of things almost can create like a culture of the west quote unquote you know so like this is why we can relate to people from america so easily because we all have the same sort of uh, media these days but you know that's that's in the modern time and that's all well and good and that defines the era we live in now but the things that make us slightly different and we can find interesting about other people and doesn't make everyone exactly the same or these unique points of the places we're from you know the likes of the 2000 year old mythologies of Ulster here the stories of Kukon you know in England um, you know, with like the the legends of King Arthur I think isn't it who is it you're a fan of wasn't it um, was the, the it wasn't the dude who was shot in the eye it was his brother was it uh, so there were uh, Harold Goldwinson at uh, Battle of Hastings was shot in the eye. Um, um, oh, lot, lot, long story, but yeah, you know, ten sixty six is such an important date in English history, in British history, because that's when we went from Anglo Saxons to the Normans, and then from the Normans we yeah. went to the Angevins, and a lot of the culture and a lot of our history is from that date. So. You know, between 1066 and then 1215 Magna Carta, that 200-year yeah. gap is such a formative part of English history. 
and it's those sorts of things that, you know, there seems to be like this sort of thing these days where you can't, you shouldn't really be too proud of where you're from or whatever. I think that's a lot of nonsense. Mm. I mean, you know, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean you got to be like, oh, rah, 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 this is, this is who I am. You know, you can be more than just who, where you're from. But it's these sorts of things, it's like, you know, that you find interesting about people. Like I used to do tours um, before, you know, all the lockdowns and stuff. And I loved chatting to people from other places. Loved asking them about where they were from. And, um, you know, one of the things I loved talking to people about was like ghost stories and stuff like that. And, you know, weird shit that used to happen where they were from, you know. Yeah. And again, that, that all links in with the mythology and stuff. Here we have the fairy folklore and, you know, that, that's a big part of what goes on here. So, um, yeah, you know, where you're from has such a such an important part to play in who who you are as a person. Well, that's why people mention Magna Carta a lot. You know, it, it, Magna mm. Carta in itself, which translates as the Great Charter, the mo- the majority of it is irrelevant now because it was medieval English laws. But there were two yes. things that stay relevant now, which are um, the accountability of the royal family. The royal family is not above the law. And also the right to a fair trial. And so, yeah. you know, the fact is Magna Carta is an interesting story when you look into it because of King John versus the Barons. But because, that you know, mythology and history, um, a lot of it might be irrelevant or just creative, but there are still lessons and still values you get from these stories, both real and historical. Yes, definitely. And that, that is part of it. Like it's the values that, that sort of come down through it because really everything else is just details. You know, as humans we're we all like the like to say we've got a certain set of values that we we project onto the world as we go through the world and do whatever we're doing, you know. Um Th- this is yeah, uh, uh the, well this is something now obviously we've got this rich sort of literature and stories but nowadays and th- th- this is again quoting you i feel like i'm sort of um a lawyer here jamie i'm quoting yeah. you you said this ad verbatim was um <laughs> you, you called the soulless hipsterdom sharing pictures of yes. coffees with filters on them i do feel attacked by that mate by the way i will hold that to you <laughs> but you also <laughs> you attack well that's on you not me if you if you feel that you but that must be we guilty conscience yourself there <laughs> but but there was a particular phrase where you um attack the most basic and lazy form of self-expression so these mythologies and these histories are not basic and lazy they're obviously rich and colourful. Yes. So how can we improve the the storytelling now? How can we improve the most basic and lazy form of self-expression? What should we be expressing now? So, well, I mean, for a start, like I, like Don, I know, like, you know, I don't, you shouldn't take any disrespect from that because even (laughs) though you may, may be someone who might post up like a coffee, coffee picture or whatever every now and then, I also know that you're, you're you know, a very talented journalist and um, that you do other sorts of artistic things, you know, poetry and that there sort of st- stuff too. Um, I suppose it's more the vacuousness of that, that sort of thing with the coffees and the selfies and things like that. Um, 
how would how would you be able to better express express yourself? Uh, the, well, the thing with the mythology isn't so much. It's more that I think for uh, for people who grew up of a similar background to me, there almost should be like a uh, an excuse the corporate term I'm going to use here, but like a rebranding, where, you know, uh, because I've I find a lot of this stuff um, on my own. The, the, the you know the mythologies of Ulster, the stuff by Ku Colin, it's not stuff that you get taught in history. Even though, you know, like we did a lot of English history and stuff growing up, um, but you know you do you also did like you know stuff about like King William of Orange and um the Battle of the Boyne and that sort of thing, whereas the other mythologies are they're based on Celts, um, you know the Celts and the Gaels and and those races of people in Ireland. Which were very much seen as like, oh no, they're like the Irish side. You know that's that's you know if you want to get involved in that, you know that's very close to being like IRA material here sort of thing. Um, but I think that's a load of nonsense. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's an Ulster thing. Doesn't matter whether you're Irish Ulster, British Ulster, or just Ulster. You know, as far as I'm concerned, that's the the nature of these stories. Uh, so I I think there's like a, um like a rebranding sort of thing. It's now I, I've always been very confident in my uh, identity as a Northern Irish person, but this has given me a, a much, much, much broader thing than that. I've never given up on the whole thing of being from Northern Ireland or whatever, never. And, um, but I know that some people have done. And whenever you, a lot of reason why people have done that is because they've become, you know, there is a very anti-British sentiment in the world now as well, you know, because Britain was like a colonial empire. So there's like this anti-British sentiment exists in the world. So a lot of people who would be from here, from the same background as me, instead of saying, oh, I'm from Northern Ireland, they just go, oh, no, 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 no. And they take on this um, global identity that's being cultivated where it is, you know, like the values that you see coming from America are very similar to the values that, that of things that happen here. Like we have like Black Lives Matter here in Northern Ireland, right? Black Lives Matter, whether you agree with them or not, is based on police violence against people who, you know, people of colour or whatever. We don't have that problem here. But you can see how the media that's being used these days, because there's so much media comes from America, because America has such a high population and people who know how to use that media so well, you can see how people over here, those those problems are being exported to here. That has absolutely, you know, those things have nothing to do with what goes on in Northern Ireland. So, and that's just one example, you know, there are lots and lots of examples. Yeah, that, that's a like a, a, a political element to the whole thing, but um, so this is where where the where there was a cultural void then gets filled. So if you know that that's what happens in a vacuum, a vacuum, a vacuum gets filled. So if there's people that are going, oh no, that's not my culture, they're going to look for something else. And America is a very very powerful force in driving culture in the world. Well, you've got to look at places like South Korea and Japan, um, where they've become 
Americanized in a lot of things. Um, you know, the, the fact is, and this is a rather weird um, tradition, but bless them for it, at Christmas time, the Japanese go out for lunch at Christmas, even though they're not really a Christian nation, and they go to KFC for Christmas. Um, <laughs> and, and it's because these nations, after conflicts, have had that cultural void. And that's where yeah. America, when it's been not necessarily an occupying force, but certainly part of that, they've just swooped in and tried to fill that stuff with McDonald's, KFC, and superheroes, essentially. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually really surprised to hear a lot about Japan because Japan, you know, from what I know about Japan, has such a, a really rich cultural tradition as well. Um, although, ironically, there's a, a Japanese anime series that uses Ku Colin as one of their, their heroes in this, you know, in that series. Oh, really? And I sort of think, yeah, yeah, it, it, it's amazing. He's a character called Lancer in a... Um, in a series called Fate Day Night or some, something along those lines anyway. Because um, Q. Colin used the lance, that was one of his weapons. Right. But that, that to me, I'm just thinking, all right, so there's like a Celtic warrior, you know, in a Japanese series. Is that like having like a ninja in, one, in something that we do, you know? So, and also whenever you say about like the Christmas thing, is that sort of like, um, you know, do you, ever, do you ever celebrate Cinco de Mayo? Um... That's a good question, actually. I'd need to look into that. I, I'm not entirely sure. Obviously, that's the Mexican thing, isn't it? Yeah. I know I've done it myself, but that's mostly because Cinco de Mayo is an excuse to drink tequila and eat tacos. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, and, you know, whether to do that in Mexico or not, I don't know. But, you know, it's you know it's like the Japanese having their KFC. People don't, people don't eat KFC on Christmas Day, but it's like, it's American, so, you know, let's do something the Americans do. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I've got a final question for you, Jamie. Yes. Um, you've talked a lot about heroes. You've talked a lot about warriors. What heroes and warriors does Northern Ireland slash Ulster need today? Well, um, now more than ever... Um, We live in a time when we aren't we we don't really have very much in terms of actual violence anymore, which is which is good. We don't have the likes of you know the British establishment and the loyalist paramilitaries and the Republican paramilitaries all you know fighting with bombs and bullets, but we do live in a time now where propaganda surveillance technology um those sorts of things are are really you know they're beyond anything that what what we thought would have come from like a technological future um the sort of heroes we need now it's not really about you see when it comes to like heroes it's more about the spirit of the hero you know so i mentioned ku colin quite a lot he had that spirit of, I'm going to go out and fight for what I believe in, whether it kills me or not. Knowing actually that it would kill him, you know. Mm. Um, so the way the world's run now, it's it's very insidious what, what happens now. Um, 
you know, as I've mentioned before, we're living in a time with the lockdowns and stuff. I, I don't personally agree with the lockdowns. Um, and I know a lot of people that don't agree with the lockdowns too. You know, wh- whether they were, you know, maybe at one point there might have been something that was worth doing. But it's getting to the point now where really it's just taking the piss. And we've had a lot of our liberties and stuff taken from us. So that is, that's one thing as well about really just standing up and not being afraid to say, okay, this is wrong. Um, also with the, the political parties that we have here at the moment are, you know, they, they've basically been doing their own thing for, for their own reasons for a long time now as well. Uh, I used to be involved in politics. You know, I often get like a, a sort of thing like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll get back involved again. I don't know if I don't know if I, you know I have the sort of I don't know if it's something that I would really want to do to get involved in the front line. But certainly, if there were other people who wanted to do that, I would I would be um, happy to lend them some advice if they were on the same page as what I was. Um, so there, there's that side of things as well. Um, the thing about it all is though is that events happen in the world and if you if it's something you feel passionately about you want to speak out about it no problem um but if something doesn't go your way then that's also all right as well because as long as you're comfortable in who you are you know it doesn't really matter what someone tries to throw at you because you can say no this is me you know and you can either like me for it or not like me for it and if you want to have a go at me come on then so that's the sort of attitude that I think that the the heroes of the new world should have. It's all it's a, to sum it, summing up it, it's those two words again, isn't it? No surrender. No surrender, you Oh I <laughs> Jim, um, it's been absolutely but... fascinating speaking to you, mate, and you know, it's it's always both entertaining and informative to hear what you've got to say. Yeah, thanks very much, Dan. Cheers for uh, for joining me on this first episode. I'm sure we'll get uh, catching up again soon. I am hoping to make this a weekly uh, broadcast that goes out. But of course, um, we also talk in all, on other platforms as well. Do you want to you know give the listeners a bit of a an idea where else you you can catch some of your work? Absolutely, it's a bit of a shameless plug this, but um, I present a news, views and blues show on Reform Radio, that's based in Manchester, so it's reformradio.co.uk and the show is called The Coalition of Chaos, I wonder where we got that title from, and mm-hmm. Jamie has been, he's, he's fantastic, he's one of the guys I speak to um, every month on the show, so it's monthly Mondays to check out The Coalition of Chaos on Reform Radio. Definitely check that one out as well. It, it's a great show. Uh, and I don't just say that because I'm a contributor. I, <laughs> I enjoy the whole show. I enjoy all the guests. And uh, I especially enjoy your uh, your rock education, Dan. You know the you know the like a bit of that when it comes on as well. Yes, on the show we, we play, um, I call it my musical education. And it's we play Slade every show because they are the most underrated rock band. And it's my education to you you can thank me later oh here well thanks now um but yeah cheers dan thanks very much and we'll get catching up soon cheers mate thank you
Cheers and thanks very much for everyone for listening.